because I'm a deep believer that hangovers occur because on Friday night, when you drink, you're basically borrowing time and energy from the next day and using it that night. Love that. That is such <laughs> a good quote. That's amazing. What does it mean to be sober curious? Christine Cockley, the development coordinator for moderation management, helps to define exactly what moderation means. And we trace the root a drink of alcohol takes through your bloodstream and into your brain by using physiological psychology. So let's do it. Too many days in the darkness without a glimpse of the light. Running tired and broken and scared, but I swear I'll never give up the fight. I see you broken and beat, head pulled down over your eyes. Every part of you wants to surrender, darling. You were meant to survive. With Christine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I I can't wait to chat with you today because we live in a world today where almost everything we do is not in moderation, whether that's you know in our careers, having some obsessive habit. And I immediately think of binging H Street episodes on Netflix, like every time I think <laughs> of moderation, you know. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, seeing how alcohol went from being just a, a recreational beer to easily having now like seven to eight drinks in any common social setting I'm finding during any time of the week that you want to, I'm finding that trending as, as more of a habit, especially with, you know, the, the younger generations. So I'd love to get some insight into what moderation management focuses on and how you help to promote more of maybe a, a healthier, sustainable approach to moderation. And also, you know, maybe catering to that sober, curious crowd. Absolutely. So moderation management, we also call it MM for short, is a secular nonprofit organization that provides peer-run support groups for anyone who would like to reduce their alcohol consumption or change their relationship with alcohol. So it was founded in 1994 to create an alternative to Alcoholics Anonymous, AA, and similar addiction recovery groups for problem drinkers who do not necessarily want to stop drinking, but moderate their amount of alcohol consumed to reduce its detrimental consequences. So essentially, we're a nonprofit open to anyone wanting to decrease harm caused by alcohol or anyone wanting to change their relationship with alcohol in general. So one thing I like to highlight is that people come to MM not only because they want to change their relationship with alcohol, but because sometimes they want to lose weight or they want to increase their energy levels or they want to spend more time with their children and make that time quality time or perhaps they want to save money. So changing your relationship with alcohol doesn't have to be because you're a problem drinker or because you've hit rock bottom. And so MM opens up to people who are trying to change their relationship with alcohol no matter the reason, which is very cool. That is, I, I love that you guys make it your relationship with alcohol because you're not i feel like aa how it started alcohols anonymous started as you know all right you're here it's almost like detention to a degree where you're here because that's a bad thing you're doing that bad thing quite a lot and it's making you do bad things so that's why you're here and you guys are making it an approach of more of a normalized setting like you know, at the end of the day <laughs> i'm sure everybody in their life at one point has experienced some sort of substance abuse or um 
moderation um, abuse too, where you're just not, uh, you're not moderate with something that could be like, you know, I said before with careers or relationships or something like that. And it just, yeah, it's your, your relationship with that too, which uh, I love that you guys, you guys put it that way. I, I want to get, if it's not yourself, I mean, if, if it's not you that has had that experience, then people around you all the time. So even if you've never drank alcohol before, or you haven't been, uh, and ha- haven't had a addiction to your career or like been uh, super career driven to the point where it's not moderate or healthy. Someone in your life has to have had this experience with alcohol. So even if it doesn't relate to you personally, it relates to everybody on some level. Um, and then I just want to touch too about how you mentioned like the feeling that people get when they come to these support groups. We try to take away that feeling of guilt and shame, which is a huge topic we talk about. People will come to MM and they'll be like, well, I feel like if I'm here, I should be ashamed of myself. Or if I slip up and I don't miss my goals, I feel ashamed of myself. So we really try to bring that guilt, have that conversation, where does it stem from, and try to remove that from the conversation to make it a much more comfortable um, environment for everybody and all of the members. So I love that you mentioned that. I just wanted to touch on it. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks. It's, it's. I mean, it's important because it's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of people have have the same issues that drive them to end up maybe over over consuming Mm -hmm. um what what exactly would you say the term moderation is to be as as specific as as we can is it i would think you know if you're not moderate meaning you're doing something that maybe negatively affects your everyday life whether it's family whether it's work um am i on the right track with that yeah, so I think in terms of alcohol specifically, we have a we kind kind of have a guideline and this is something we call by the book. And so the by the book term of moderation has limits and guidelines that were derived from the work of Dr. Martha Sanchez Preg. And so MM members are encouraged but do not necessarily need to follow these suggested guidelines. Um, They have guidelines, limitations, and a whole uh, steps of change process. So the guidelines are technically for men, no more than 14 drinks per week and not more than four per occasion. For women, no more than nine drinks per week and not more than three per occasion. And then for both men and women, do not drink on more than three or four days per the week. So one cool thing about MM is that we recognize when people join, the guidelines may seem unattainable or unrealistic. And we encourage them and support them in any effort that we can to make members um, understand what moderation is, what their behavior looks like around alcohol. And ultimately, some members will be satisfied drinking less than they did before joining MM. Um, A lot of times, members will be satisfied drinking higher levels of alcohol than what is directed by the actual MM by the book guidelines. And then some people will actually find themselves drinking less, uh, less than the guidelines, and they find that's where they have the most energy, the most happiness, find moderation in their life. And then we also have members who choose abstinence for either an extended period or forever. So if somebody decides that they're sober curious, they want to try it out, we have a group for that. We have a group for people who ultimately decide to abstain for periods of times and for people who decide to be sober. So it's really cool that we have these guidelines because they are laid out if you're somebody who wants that direct definition of what moderation is and you want to stick to what that guideline is but we're also flexible and we know that everybody's not the same everybody's goals are different yeah that that makes sense you you said you set a bar that's important and Mm -hmm. you said 14 drinks a week for a, a man and then what what was it for a woman no more than nine drinks per week no more than nine drinks i i feel like that's 
pretty fair. I'd say more than fair almost. Um, Absolutely. And it's fascinating because one of the steps of change or one things that we recommend people do just to bring awareness to their drinking habits is start by tracking it. And I've said to my friends before, Hey, I'm tracking my drinks. And they're like, why? And I'm like, it's just fascinating. So now I've been tracking my drinks for well over a year. (laughs) I screenshot them and I share them with my therapist just to talk about the growth and what it means and how I feel. And it's not, it's no different than tracking your food, your exercise, your emotions, you know, it's such, it's something that can bring you such good insight and reflection. So I tell people to track, MM tells people to track and people oftentimes will be like, I don't need to track my drinking, but then they'll start and they'll say, oh, I definitely don't drink more than 14 drinks per week. And they'll look at it and they'll be like, oh shit, excuse my language. I actually drink like double that amount. And so that's when people start thinking like, if I'm drinking double that amount, is it because my drinks are heavy pours? Is it because I'm going to my favorite bar where they give me free drinks? Is it because I have a shot of tequila and then I don't know how to stop after that? Or what is it that makes you go over your targets or your goals? Or what is it? Is it emotionally? What is it within your environment? Is it social drinking? Is it work stress? Is it end of the day um, routine and habit? So by starting off by tracking your drinks, it really helps you dig into that. And then it shows you just how much or how little you do drink based off of these guidelines and gives you an idea of where you want to go with your goals. Yeah, that is, uh, that is interesting. I, I, I've never thought of, uh, tracking my, my drinks, but that's a good, that's a good way to kind of put it to, and you had brought up, uh, you know, happiness before too. And I, I feel like you know, alcohol that that also plays a role into it too, with factors with um, you know work stress and and relationship stress and alcohol making people feel more relaxed and happier and more confident. You know, especially if we're drinking in excess, and but I feel like that means we are you know we're striving to feel more feelings of being happier, relaxed, and confident. But that implies that those feelings might be missing in our lives without the alcohol. Um, so do you think that, is there a, is there a way, um, that you've seen through some of the programs or or things that you guys offer where people are able to find the happiness in their own lives without the consumption of alcohol and on what they're, they're missing? I love this question. So one way that MM has people kind of navigate that thought process and that idea is they recommend that people participate in a 30 that's being dry or not drinking for 30 days in a row that time period is supposed to allow you to find out what are my coping skills why am i drinking where can i find happiness uh what do i do in my life that i actually enjoy at the end of the day that can help me relax is it lighting a candle or taking my dogs for a walk rather than just turning and having that drink so one of the first things we recommend is a 30-day period of abstaining um it they do recommend you do it at the beginning of the program. Not everybody does it. Honestly, I did not do it at the beginning of the program. Um, and some people will never do it. So it's not like a, you have to do this or you cannot participate in MM. It's just something that they suggest. Yeah. So we actually even have um, a board member right now who recommends doing a four month period. So this research and science is kind of changing to determine how long you should go for a dry period to kind of navigate those emotions. But then in addition to those dry periods, we have other ways to kind of think about our emotions and why we're drinking our happiness, um, how we feel the next day, that anxiety. And some of those resources you can actually find on our website, moderation.org. 
Um, a lot of people we partner with on our partnership page, they help uh, navigate those relationships and those conversations and the relationship with your emotions and those conversations. And in addition, we also have a page for um, a directory of clinicians and practitioners. So for people who are having these thoughts, like, huh, am I just drinking because I'm miserable at the end of the day? Or like, uh, am I going to brunch and having a drink because of my social anxiety? Or do I feel happier on game day when I'm binge drinking? Um, for people who are having these questions, we have an entire list of therapists and clinicians on our website as well under, I think it's our um, find support page. And that's talking to a therapist is a great example of how you can have these these conversations and think about what your relationship is with alcohol and especially in terms of what your emotions are and where you find happiness. Well, I like that, that 30 days because that intention behind it is not to like everyone probably thinks it's just to be sober for 30 days when in reality, it's to diagnose some things in your life to realize, exactly. you know, where is the happiness coming from? When do I feel sad? When do I want to drink? Is it habitual where it's like every Friday night, every Saturday night, or all of a sudden, you know, it's uh, NFL Sunday. Exactly. Yeah. yeah well, that- and then I think too, that's kind of where dryuary helps many people in our community. And a lot of people end up coming from dryuary to moderation management. So dryuary.org is actually run by moderation management. And we help do that entire programming and help people do their 30 days in January after the holidays, because during the holidays, people are binge drinking, they're binge eating, not doing anything in moderation. Yeah. Um, and so that's like a really good time period for people to get in that first 30 days. And then turn over to moderation management where they say, Hey, what are the actual tools to help me bring and introduce drinking back into my, my time, my days, my weeks, my life. So, um, it's pretty cool to watch the 30 day abstinence period be important and then watch it in terms of dryuary and so many people participating in dryuary across the world. And same thing with MM, we have members globally, and it's just so fascinating to see people use that 30 day period to really navigate their relationship with alcohol and what it means. No, that's good. That's good stuff. I and mean, that's, that's coming up. I mean, it, sober October is just finishing up and you yeah. know, we got uh January coming up too, which I know January is, I feel like the bigger one because it's like, I, I knew people doing it even before I even knew what it was. They were just like, all right, it's January 1st. I'm naturally, I'm going to, this is my time. I'm going to do this, do that. I'm going to work out and so forth. Yeah. 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 Um, drawn up too, which I feel like, if you're thinking about doing that in January, the time to really start to get yourself in shape for it is now because you don't want January 1st to come around. You woke, you wake up hangover, uh, hungover so badly. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, you're, you're just trying to cut something that has taken up a good chunk of your life out entirely. Like right now, if you are thinking about doing the dry run in January, start to weed yourself down just a little bit, start to maybe even just count your drinks, control it, start to feel like you're um, choosing when to and when not to, you know, practice, start being out with friends and not drinking at all. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would, I would, I would say, I would say that um, might, might also help. And I'd love to get your thoughts too on the different uh, age age differences with how people drink, because I love talking, discussing about how different generations do different things. Um, and, uh, it, it, it always amuses me as to like the reasoning, the rationale and the different habits. And I want to get your thoughts on who tends to maybe drink the most out of, you know, whether it's Gen Z, Gen X, millennials, baby boomers, 
um, and up the scale. Have you seen a, a pattern? Is everyone kind of within the same realm, but just with different reasoning? Or is there really a, uh, a big, big difference? Very good question. So to start off, I want to talk a little bit about just like demographics in general. And I think that leads into just how much our generation and younger generations are drinking. Um, and so first off, the amount of I would say the majority of people within MM are adults over the age of 45, 50, um, which that is fascinating. And MM does a really good job of acknowledging that the demographics are changing and people are impacted by alcohol in different ways. So this is exactly why we have meetings for various populations. So we actually have meetings seven days a week. Um, we have meetings for Spanish speakers. We have meetings for LGBTQ plus members, men, women, people who are abstaining, people who are sober. We have a meeting for couples. Um, and most recently, leading into your question, is we have a, a meeting for millennials. And this actually started as a group for 20-something-year-olds because we were sitting there in meetings with all of these older generations that we just didn't relate with. We were like, yeah, this is interesting. I, I understand these topics. I like your tools. But it's, it's just different growing up and being 20 right now, especially for people who join MM when they're in college. So all of a sudden with the 20s meetings, we had some people who were like, well, I'm 29, I'm turning 30 next week. Can I still come? So then we ended yeah. up turning it into, well, maybe we should do the millennials meeting instead of just the 20 something. And since then, it's so cool to see how much it's grown. It's awesome to have people within your own generation to talk about these issues with. Um, and that's when we really started diving into more of the statistics about our younger generation. So one of the resources that I frequently reference is the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, also called NIAAA, which I could also get into about why they should change their name, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they estimate that 1,519 college students ages 18 to 24 die from alcohol-related um, injuries that are unintended, including motor vehicle crashes from drinking and driving each year. So they also stated in 2019, 8.1 percentage uh, or percent of adults ages 18 to 22 meet the criteria in the past year for alcohol use disorder. Within this age group, 8.7% 8 of full-time college students ages 18 to 22 and 7.7% of other persons the same age met criteria for alcohol use disorder as well. And then that leads into, they have an entire program now for college students, which is fascinating. And they found um, about one in four college students report academic consequences from drinking, including missing class, failing behind in class, doing poorly on exams or papers, and receiving lower grades overall. And I totally see how that's possible. I mean, whether, no matter what type of, um, social environment you're in in college, it's everywhere. So there's just so many different opportunities for younger people to drink. So whether it's going to an internship and you're trying to network. So after, at the end of the day, you say, hey, let's grab a drink. I want to pick your brain. Or if you're getting out of class and you're to your classmates say, hey, let's go grab a drink and study. Or if you're going to a social event or you're doing brunch or game day, um, there's so many different ways that alcohol shows up and presents itself that it's almost like younger generations have our plans created around drinking. And eventually for a lot of people that turns habitual. So a lot of people are bringing that into adulthood. And that's why we find so many people within their late twenties, thirties, early forties um, with these habits that have formed in college because everything in our society just and is shaped around drinking at this point. Yeah. You're not kidding because I know, um, I know friends in their 
in their twenties in their mid to late twenties that are, uh, you know, can, can kill a whole bottle of liquor in, in one night, you know, or, or 15, 18 beers in, in a single sitting. Mm -hmm. And that, that generally, I feel like used to be like the 40, the 50, 60 year old, you know, habit, you know, if, if that person is, is getting deeper into, um, alcohol, but to see that in, people in their twenties, I do not see how that is remotely sustainable from a health standpoint it's in not. any, any way, shape or form mentally, um, physically, especially, I feel like physically when you, I mean, you can only do that for, for only a couple of years. Cause that just deteriorates you. So I feel like we're starting to almost deteriorate earlier. If, if we're getting into this deep consumption of alcohol and I was blown away when I was, uh, do, doing some online research as to which generations um, drink less, drink more. And all I could find online about younger generations and their drinking habits is that A, Gen Z barely drinks alcohol. Millennials are second behind them with baby boomers leading the overall pack for drinkers. And I just, I, that surprised me. I'm not sure, you know, what studies or where they're, they were getting that information from. Cause I always think of, okay, well, what's my own experience like, right. And I just, I, I think about all these social interactions that I have the possibility of, of, um, participating in and they all revolve around alcohol being the main premise of interacting with each other, whether that's just hanging out in an apartment, a game, a party, going out. Um, and I know, I know baby boomers, you know, they, there's a, a different um, style of drinking. It's probably more indoors and, and hanging out and so, and, and maybe just as consistent. But when I think of binge drinking, of actually binging, um, I don't, you know, I've never seen um, baby boomers just kind of I mean, to such a consistent basis where you're talking almost every weekend where, you know, you, you go and you kill, um, you know, 15 white claws in a, in a Saturday be before like going out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, I, it, it blew my mind. And I mean, I think Gen, um, Gen Z and millennials too, a part of that might be because they also maybe have substituted alcohol with maybe marijuana, different, different other types. So maybe on those surveys or those studies, um, baby boomers are like, yeah, no, only drink. And then millennials are kind of spreading out their, uh, their consumption of, of things. So maybe, maybe that's it. But I just, I mean, I found that so, um, surprising, especially when I researched, I couldn't find any article that even talked about millennials and Gen Zers drinking. It was more so about how they don't drink a lot. <laughs> I was like, I don't, so I don't know. So I wonder Part of me wonders, I would love to see that, uh, like your process of research and see where that data came from. And I also wonder if people are either A, unintentionally lying about their drinking because they feel shame or B, unintentionally lying about it because they don't truly know how much they are drinking. Yeah. Um, and that's why our generation doesn't report it or doesn't have those higher numbers like for example baby boomers do so a couple of my friends when I first told them about tracking and they're like why would you do that and then they start tracking and they're like oh I'm at 30 drinks a week that's not good yeah, yeah. But they, before they were like eh, no way I go over 15 you know so yeah. I wonder if there's just a little bit of shame in reporting or if people just don't truly know how much they are drinking and that's why it doesn't show that people younger generations are drinking so much and like you said spreading it between marijuana or 
whatever else recreational, whatever recreational um, substance that they can think of, you know? Yeah. So that is really fascinating. And then um, especially like you said, I think it's so prevalent in our society that that's a big reason why so many people and younger generations are starting to come to MM is because it's everywhere. And so I think people are kind of starting to realize like, this is not sustainable. The older I get, the more hungover I get. I don't feel the same energy going into the office or I don't want to go into the office because I'm working remote or I'm working remote so I can drink all day or at football games, I can no longer keep pace. So I think because it's so prevalent in our society that these younger generations are starting to come to MM at an earlier age because they're realizing how abundance it is. It's everywhere. Um, and then also, go. I know I'm getting into the conversation when I bring out my... Um, paper and pen. I'm like, oh, I have so many things to talk about. Yes, I love it. Um, so you were just, you were talking and I was like, yes, yes, Daniel. <laughs> um, but back to the different research and like finding this information, that's a big, it's difficult to do. And a lot of times like NIAAA and different academic programs, we just, a lot of the research isn't there or it is there. It's just difficult to find. We want and need more. So I do have a list of resources that I'm going to send you after this, that hopefully you can either post in the comments or link it in your page or something. Um, but that's yeah. your, it's so true. Like you type in information and you're looking for it. And just sometimes there's so much information on I mean, the internet, it's like, where do I start? How do I find it? So. Yeah. Yeah. And I, what I Googled, I think it was, um, which generations consume alcohol the most or something along those lines. And I'm not kidding. Like the articles themselves, what came up were the titles saying why Gen Z doesn't drink, why Gen Z drinks the least. And I, I couldn't even click them. I couldn't even click them to even view that. Cause I was just like that. That's, you know, I, I feel like they're coming off from with a, with an intention on there because I was like, I mean, guys, I mean, uh, I'm not too much older than Gen Z. I'm 29. And, um, you know, we're, we're so we've replaced the cheese and crackers, you know, bringing over hors d'oeuvres with white claws and cocktails. I mean, very quickly we have, it's just <laughs> you are so right. I, I think honestly too, getting into, like you said, like, it's just like kind of like clickbait. I think I love the idea of being sober curious. I am in a lot of sober curious Facebook pages and different social media accounts that I follow. Um, I think it's interesting. I also have considered multiple points in my life, like maybe someday I will be completely sober, you know, but I do think that it's such a big booming idea because there's a lot of, um, there's, there's not a lot of information about moderating. Like people don't know it's a thing. Yeah. They don't know it's possible. Like they think people think if I have any concerns about my drinking, I need to stop. I'm sober curious. There, it's never, how do I change my relationship with, with my drinking? Like for people who will pick fights with their partner, or even if they skip like brushing their teeth because they're too tired after a drink, or if they're drinking when they're sad at the end of the day, rather than like doing something that will lift their spirits or potentially even like eating a piece of chocolate, whatever it looks like. A lot of people think like, I want to change my relationship. They don't think I want to change my relationship with alcohol. They think I just need to be sober curious and cut it off. Um, so I think just like bringing awareness to moderation and bringing awareness to moderation management and different programs that are similar will be super impactful for opening opening the idea up to people who want to change their relationship with alcohol, but don't necessarily think like it has to be all or nothing. Yes. And I was going to ask you actually what, cause you, you just basically hit it on the nail right there. If you go in a little bit more detail, what would be some behavior change methods someone can implement? And, and also how do emotions and habits play a vital role in achieving 
the desired behavior change from consuming alcohol, turning into um, causing bad habits, bad behaviors, and the relationship with, with thinking and behavior? Love this question. Also one I could talk about forever. Um, so I want to highlight a couple different things. Yeah, I should keep it to a few because otherwise I can go on. <laughs> yeah, you um, can do your thing. I love it. My first two things I immediately think about are good resources uh, for just this exact topic. And one of them, you brought up habit changes. And we actually have a book corner on our website that gives people ideas for how that how they can look at their habits, books that can have um, like different work workbook examples of how you should evaluate, think about these different things and different aspects um, around habits and moderation and what it looks like. So our book corner has a lot of really good resources that answer, a, not answer, but hits on these topics of habits versus triggers and different differentiating between the two. Um, the other thing is we have a program, which is actually how I first got involved in moderation management and it's called Kickstart kickstart moderation. So the idea is that you're kickstarting this moderation journey and you're learning all these different tools to help you live a life in moderation. And a lot of these different practices are meant to be towards alcohol, but you can apply them in various aspects of your life. And I fell in love with this kickstart program. Um, and I recommend it to everybody. I think it's so cool. Our executive director, Mary Reed, has done an incredible job just fine-tuning it and making it accessible. Typically, we uh, offer it a couple times a year, like four or five times a year, and we are now automating that process. So it'll be more like uh, it. at your own speed. Yeah, I'm so excited. It's just, it's such a good program. Um, so I wanted to highlight those two items, the book corner and then also Kickstart, which it actually has its own website, just like Dryuary. So it's moderationmonth.org uh, at this moment. So definitely recommend looking into that as well. And then, like I said, for different behavior change methods and emotions and habits and different resources, those are the, more of the resources side as far as the actual methods of change itself. MM really does encourage people to recognize triggers and habits and how to differentiate between the two. Then we encourage small sustainable steps toward behavior change. And some methods include delaying your first drink, substituting alcoholic beverages with non-alcoholic or low alcoholic beverages, becoming aware of how quickly you drink, uh, stopping to gauge the effects of each drink before having another sip, surfing the urges, uh, thinking about what you want the next day to look like, how much energy you want to have, considering your emotions during a craving, setting a timer yeah. to push off the craving and see if you can even sit through it. Um, there's so many different uh, methods to evaluate your triggers and habits and your emotions. And that's really where Kickstart and also our book corner come in. And those are the resources that help you think about these things. And of course, there's tracking your drinks um, and participating in our different communities. And in our communities is where we really have that conversation of what does it look like on an individual level. So while the resources are the two websites or the book corner and the Kickstart program, that list of items is really the uh, behavior change methods. We also have the communities that you start practicing these things and having these conversations and you think about how does it impact you? So you can always journal it on your own, but there's also an entire community of people who are going through similar things that are having these conversations, which is very cool. Yeah. And what, I, I like uh, the fact that you brought up kind of the individual level, because from my own 
standpoint, I found that when I was working in an office Monday through Friday, that by Friday, I felt like brutalized, <laughs> you know? So like, I, I found that my habit was always Friday night, um, dr having a drink or so to be able to kind of balance how I had felt and thinking of it that way, I was like, I hated waking up Saturday mornings hungover because I'm a deep believer that hangovers occur because on Friday night, when you drink, you're basically borrowing time and energy from the next day and using it that night. So you're actually, you know, you're, you're boosting yourself, but you're, you're borrowing from tomorrow. So that's why you feel I like crap. Love that. That is such <laughs> a good quote. That's amazing. And you're so right too. And it's strange because there's so many people like this topic comes up a lot, especially in our millennials group, um, for people under, 40. We talk about whether you're a binge drinker or you're a daily drinker. And a lot of people, they go to classes or they're in the office Monday through Friday and Friday comes and they just binge drink and the next day they're hungover and they are borrowing that time because you're, you're essentially using that time to recover from the night before, you know? And then there's also people who are daily drinkers. And I mean, you could almost say the same thing. Like if you're drinking daily for two or three drinks a night and it still comes out to 15 drinks a week, um, you're still borrowing that energy from the next morning because you wake up a little sluggish. You're not as yeah. quick to get your coffee. You're miserable while you're going through your emails or whatever it looks like. Irritable. So, yeah. So that is definitely, I love that sentiment and I'm going to write that down when I listen back. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Yeah. Yeah. Cause what I found too, if anyone is similar to that, I, I hated waking up that way. So I was like, what am I wanting? on Friday night after work, I want to feel a little bit energized from a personal standpoint. I want my soul to really feel a little bit, you know, it can flap its wings. So I was like, okay, what can I maybe substitute? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and for me, and the most healthiest way is obviously doing something natural that it involves no other intake of anything else. But my way of kind of countering that quicker was I just had a little bit of an energy drink, not so much, but like that, like it was like three or four Red Bulls, but maybe just half a Red Bull. And then Friday night at six, seven, I'm excited. I'm feeling good. Um, I, I'm, I'm also, I feel engaged. And then, you know, I go to bed at a reasonable time and then I wake up not feeling hungover. I don't have those awful side effects of, I well, I just ate like a pound of pasta, 12 chicken wings and, and everything from the night before too, which is, is also, uh, a bad uh, habit when you do drink. Oh, I'm really excited about you mentioning that you do your energy drink. And what is it that you truly want at the end of the week is you want to relax, but you also want a little bit of energy to do what you want to do. And I think that's really difficult with the younger generations because we get home at the end of the day on a Friday and we're like, what truly brings us happiness? And it's so hard to figure that out. Oh, we're and pulled in so many different directions. Oh my God. <laughs> You're like, don't get started. And it's like, I'm 26, I'm almost 27. And I still am like, what do I like doing? I'm like, I don't know. And so many people, they'll, they, when they sit with their selves, if you just sit for 60 seconds, this is why meditation is so hard. And it's a very impressive skill is if you just sit by yourself for 60 seconds, what comes to your body, what comes to your mind. And a lot of people can't even do that. They reach for their phone and they go on social media or if they go for a drink or they go for anything else that's like an instantaneous 
um, feel good, you know? So it's really, really difficult finding things that you enjoy doing on a Friday night that brings you that happiness and that energy. And it's, I, from my experience, I think it's going to be a lifelong journey for myself. I think my interest in different things change. Like sometimes I like crafting, sometimes I like knitting, sometimes I like reading, sometimes I like writing and just having like a rotation of things that you enjoy and bring you happiness. In addition to always navigating these different things that could potentially bring you happiness um, is really important. Yeah. I I feel like when uh, millennials graduate from college and they finally start like in the workforce, they have like that Kobe Bryant post career, like right when he's retiring mentality, where it's just like, all of a sudden, like you've worked your whole life, you've crunched so much together. And then you're just like, wait, well, what do I like to enjoy? Like, who am I outside of all of this? And there's a famous, there's a famous meme. There was a famous meme that went around uh, the internet when Kobe Bryant retired, where it was just him looking at his family going, so what do y'all like to do? <laughs> you, know, he's like, he's, you know, his kids are like up to like 10 years old or so. And it's just like, he had spent no time outside of normal work his entire life. And then all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere, which you start to plan, you try to plan for, but out of nowhere, you, um, you're experiencing and it like hits you in the face. And it's just like, like when you were describing it, that brought that idea to my mind, because it was like, that is true. Where it's just like, you have this time now for yourself that you've never had that you you're so used to implementing into work and getting things done and what's the next step next step next step that all of a sudden you're in the present and you're like well what's what's the present (laughs) it brings me to another idea that could also bring up something to talk about for hours um is the idea of transitions and transitions and discomfort and uncertainty being such a big reason for people to drink. Like if you're going through a divorce, if your kids are leaving the nest, if you're leaving college and you're starting your first time, your first full position, or if you're starting a new job, um, and between transitions and having a lot of downtime, it's like, what else do you do? You know, you drink. Um, so the idea to me of like, what brings you happiness when you have that free time, what do you do? And the idea of transitions, those are just three small, not small, three experiences that are like, wow, you know, it really impacts my drinking. Yeah. Yeah. And, and discussing the the relationship with thinking and your behavior, like we were before for a second, I, I want to take a second and just break down the consumption of alcohol step-by-step scientifically, because I think that physiological psychology is the most authentic subject you can pursue because it's, it, it makes everything actually make sense. I'm, I'm taking a lot of different information here from different articles, all entitled, why do we get emotional when we drink? There was a really good one written in uh, Gizmodo, which is an online magazine, but here we go. And, and we're basically going to follow how a, that tequila shot goes from the bottle to you swallowing it, and then how it's affecting your brain and cognitive ability as it travels and wanders throughout your body. So you just took a shot. That tequila hits your stomach, and a portion of it has now been absorbed into your blood from the lining in your stomach. While most of the alcohol has passed to the small intestine where it's then also absorbed into your blood. It's then carried through your bloodstream and enters your circulation and then enters your brain. And this is when you'll notice a change in your thinking, which could then result in a change in your behavior. So it's very important to remember those two dynamics and the relationship with each other, your thinking and your behavior, because 
you have your thinking, secondhand is your behavior, which when you are sober, they tend to be very separate from one another. And the more you drink, the more that they become inseparable. So you're no longer thinking, should I do this? And then consider the outcome before behaving in a certain way. Your thinking starts to then control your behavior. So that tequila shot then hangs out in your cerebral cortex, which is the outer layer part of your brain that lies on top of your cerebrum, which is responsible for processing reasoning, thought, learning, and basically all things decision-making, which the behavior change from this tequila shot at this point would vary, but there is a high likelihood you would become more chatty, more expressive, and more loose with yourself. And, you know, thinking of our behaviors it's in the past, it's probably all starting to make sense now. <laughs> and as you drink more, your cortex's electrical signals become interrupted, thus affecting and pulling your limbic system into this chaos your brain is experiencing. And your limbic system, is if this is your first time hearing that term, it's a system of nerves that helps to control basic emotions of fear, pleasure, anger, and drives our feelings we have around dominant sex and hungers, you know, all those primitive feelings that we have. When your limbic system is affected, you can now be considered as drunk. If you can't remember certain events of the night, you can thank your limbic system being heavily affected as it's also responsible for forming memories. So if you wake up the next day and you don't have any memories, it's because they were never formed. And that's a, it's a big, it's, it's something to really think about is because you, you don't have those memories. So you're trying to search and search and search. You don't have them because your limbic system did not allow you to form them, if that makes sense. It's actually pretty sad if you, if, if you think about it. Um, and, that is fascinating. Yeah, and it's, it's sad because if you're at a wedding or something like that, like think about your recycling bin on your computer being absolutely deleted. And you have nothing. You have no files to even try to recover. Um, and generally speaking, it said that if you are typically happy in your life, you'll be a happy and silly drunk. And if you're typically not happy, then it's best to ensure you're moderating your drinking or coming from you, then start to keep track of your drinking. And I love physiological psychology because when you follow that and it, it starts to make sense and you think about how long it takes for your body to actually process that alcohol out. And when you keep consuming alcohol, it goes through that same process, which is just lubing it up for more alcohol and more um, decision altering. Um, yeah. And I assume and that process probably varies for people on what uh, the time period, the time frame for that process happens. And so this is honestly a good explanation of why a lot of uh, people realize like I can't drink tequila anymore because I down it and then I don't know when to stop and then I take another one so uh, one method a lot of people end up finding through tracking is that I need to cut out tequila or I need to cut out hard liquor or red wine's my weakness or beer is my weakness if it's over um five percent alcohol yeah. so and that process totally makes sense why um different drinks impact people at a different speed and a different way. And I just, I love the aspect of bringing your body and the science into it of what it's actually happening. And I actually listened to a podcast the other day, um, discussing that people who drink their brain is actually smaller. Like it decreases the size of your brain. And it's like, 
like yeah. we should all know these things and sometimes they, we even hear these things that you're like poisoning your body but we still continue to do it anyways so if society is going to continue to do it anyways we better moderate or do it in a smaller capacity or do something to make it a little bit less unhealthy or a little bit less detrimental um so yeah. if alcohol is going to be there i mean it's good to know the science behind it it's good to have these conversations it's yeah it I mean, your cerebral cortex, it affects, I believe the, the, the gray matter in particular there, but if, if, and also too, if you consider this too, what do people tend to buy when they're at the liquor store? It's like the cheapest type of liquor you can get your hands on and think about like what, think about a $9 a handle of like tequila or vodka. You got to imagine that going through your bloodstream into your cerebral cortex, which affects your cerebrum and then down to your limbic system. And that is actual toxic. That is toxins going, traveling wherever the hell it wants to throughout your brain and through your body and, and affecting you. I mean, at, and then you think about the more sugary drinks and with, with different types of wines too, um, how, how that all plays a role and, and take away the decision-making and, and the actual effects of being drunk. Now think about the actual physical health factors of, that being oh, yeah. in there. I mean, that's like, that's like just having fire just rolled through your house, like on a Friday night and then, and then leaving, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. that's going to well, leave. Fascinating because like a lot of this stuff, like we know that like, yeah, alcohol might help me fall asleep tonight, but it actually impacts your sleep and you don't get as good of sleep, but we're going to do it anyways. And so many people know that it's toxins literally going through your body. So many people know that it's making your brain smaller, but how do you cut out that habit? How do you make your brain or how do you, how do you come to a realization that like, yes, this is what's happening. And I actually need to do something about it because a lot of times, like for me, this is a, a good comparison. I know working out will be better for me. I know working out, I will feel better. I will, my mental health will be much better. I know that I will physically be healthier. I know that I will probably give me ener more energy in the long run. I'll probably be less tired at the end of the day. Still, I cannot get myself to work out like for the life of me. Like, I just don't like doing it. So for a lot of people, I should work out. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's the, it's the execution of it. That's tough. Oh yeah, exactly. It's the execution. And for a lot of people, they, they say like, I know alcohol is not good for me. I know it's destroying my body and it's probably taking, like kicking off a couple of years of my life. I know it's probably impacting, uh, the amount that I enjoy my life or what I'm doing, my energy, my sleep. Like, I know it's not good for me. I still want to do it. And that's where for those people, like somebody who's like, I want to be able to do it in moderation. Like I'm going to do it no matter what, even if I know it's not happy or healthy for me. Um, how do you help those people realize why it's not healthy for you and then change their habits and their behaviors. And for a lot of people, again, they don't want to abstain. A lot of people who try to become moderate drinkers realize that they need to abstain. And a lot of people end up in MM specifically, a lot of people decide that they don't want to drink ever again, or they want to do a long period. But how do we help these people make these connections and also let them know that it's okay if you want to keep drinking, just decrease the amount that it's harming your body, decrease the amount of situations that you're getting in where you're, you're forgetful, where you're, um, you're graying out, you're blacking out, decrease those scenarios where you're drinking an entire handle that's literally going through your body and being soaked up by your blood. Like if you're going to do it anyways, decrease the harm that you're doing to your body and try to learn these things like your triggers, your habits, um, try to learn these behavior change methods and really try to 
do the least amount of harm you can possibly do. Yeah, while yeah. And it goes back to working out for me. Like if I don't like working out, I'm still going to force myself to stand up. I'm going to do my stretches in the middle of the workday. I'm going to take my dogs for a walk. I'm going to go out to my garden. I'm going to go visit my parents on the farm. I'm going to get a good walk around the pond. And yes, I should probably do more like cardio and strength strengthening but if i'm gonna not do it at all i'm gonna do a little bit of something else that's gonna make me feel a little bit better and same thing with your drinking you just decrease the amount of harm that you're doing to your body yeah and finding that that moderation really i mean to to circle back with it's so important to find balance because you know you're you're even keeled which you can make the best decisions that way i um and you you mentioned a, a couple different websites um, before where people can find some of this information and programs. Where um where would you say people who either want to help you guys or if they want to seek help, uh, where can they where can they go? Great question. So the best resource is moderation.org. There you can find our different communities, which includes um, our list serve. It includes um, our Facebook page. It's a private group. Um, you can find more information about Kickstart, which is also uh, moderationmonth.org. You can find more information about Dryuary, which is dryuary.org. But moderation.org is that main website that will help guide you to all of those different communities. You can also sign up for our newsletter that I send out once a month and not to brag, it's pretty good. Um, <laughs> I'll occasionally include free coloring pages that I love. Uh, <laughs> people get a kick out of it. And we also frequently include those different. Um, behavior change methods and different advice and tools and tips and tricks and that type of thing in newsletters as well. You can also check out our partnership page, which um, our intention is to grow it. And it's been growing a little bit every month um, that our goal with that is to kind of create a one-stop shop for people who want tools and resources in addition to MM that will complement MM. So um, that's a great page to check out the partnership page, um, the directory of clinicians for anybody that is seeking therapy. Um, which I think everybody should be in therapy. I think it's a great opportunity to learn and grow. Um, that's one of my favorite portions is actually building yeah. out the directory. Um, so you can find you can find help there. Um, and then uh, you can also donate, which we are a nonprofit. Um, we're continuing to grow every day. We want to get more awareness out there. We want to provide resources for people. Everything we do is free. Um, we do ask for a donation for Kickstart, but we do offer coupons. So if you want to learn tools to moderate, if you want to explore this process and uh, change your relationship with alcohol, if you want to do the Kickstart program, definitely reach out, uh, go to moderation.org and just ask for a coupon. Everything we do is free from the seven days a week, uh, the meeting seven days a week, Dryuary, Kickstart, all of it. So um, one-stop shop, moderation.org, highly recommend. You can donate there. And yeah, I, this has been such a joy talking about with you, Daniel. Thanks for having me and helping spread awareness about moderation management and opening up these conversations that are so important, especially for the younger generations. No, thanks. For saying, I appreciate you guys um, you coming on and, and for your time and for everything you guys do too. I was, I was so shocked that you guys, I mean, are like everywhere, I feel like, because the very first meeting that I saw on your website when I just clicked your meetings was Morristown, New Jersey. And I'm from that, like, 35 minutes from there, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> I was like, what, what are the chances, you know, and you guys are everywhere. everywhere. So I love it. Yeah. You guys have different meetings. You can just call up and, you know, without being on a zoom or in person, if you want to seek help, you can do zoom, zoom webinars. You don't have to go in person. I mean, you guys have everything under the sun. Um, I love, I love broadcasting this. You guys are amazing. And, um, I'm sure I will see you down the road, Christine. 
Yes, thank you again, Daniel. It's been such a joy.